to talk about this thought right here. What does Jesus want? What does he want? And uh, we're going to unpack this thought. At the, towards the end of last year, uh, we were kind of diving into the book of John because in the book of John, uh, between chapters 2 and 13, uh, theologians call that section of, uh, that section of Scripture the, the book of signs. There's seven of them. And so last year we, we tackled four, and we're going to complete the, the cycle, if you will, uh, by tackling one of them today, and then over the next two weeks we'll finish off the book of signs. But rather than reading the passage, I'm going to let you guys read it when you get home, we're going to show the passage on the screen. Why don't you take a look at this? A Samaritan woman came to draw some water. Give me a drink of water. His disciples had gone into town to buy food. You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. So how can you ask me for a drink? Jews will not use the same cups and bowls that Samaritans use. If you only knew what God gives, and who it is that is asking you for a drink, you would ask him. And he would give you a life-giving water. Sir, you don't have a bucket and the well is deep. Where would you get that life-giving water? It was our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well. He and his children and his flocks all drank from it. You don't claim to be greater than Jacob, do you? Those who drink this water will get thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I will give them will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give them will become in them a spring which will provide them with life-giving water and give them eternal life. Sir, give me that water. Then I will never be thirsty again. Nor will I have to come here to draw water. Go and call your husband and come back. I don't have a husband. You're right when you say you don't have a husband. You've been married to five men and the man you live with now is not really your husband. You have told me the truth. You are a prophet, sir. My Samaritan ancestors worshipped God on this mountain. But you Jews say that Jerusalem is the place where we should worship God. Believe me, woman. The time will come when people will not worship the Father either on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans do not really know whom you worship. But we Jews know whom we worship because it is from the Jews that salvation comes. But the time is coming and is already here, when by the power of God's Spirit, people will worship the Father as he really is, offering him the true worship that he wants. God is Spirit, and only by the power of his Spirit can people worship him as he really is. I know that the Messiah will come, and when he comes, he will tell us everything. I am he, I who am talking with you. Let's unpack that. Buried within those words of Jesus, he reveals three things that he desires, not only from her, but from all of us today. Um, but before we dive into those three things, I want to just point out just a few overarching thoughts. Number one, Jesus was at that well waiting for her. 
He was waiting for her. He was walking around with his 12 disciples. He told his 12 disciples, you guys go on ahead. I've got an appointment with someone. And she always comes to the well. He didn't say this out loud, but she's always here at this time. He knew her schedule. Did you know that Jesus watches you so closely that he knows your schedule? In the Bible, Jesus says this. He says that the sparrow, anytime a sparrow, now keep in mind, of all the birds in the air, it just seems like sparrows are the most common birds. They're everywhere, everywhere. He says every single time a sparrow touches the ground, I know it. And then he says this, aren't you more valuable than all of the sparrows? Do you know every time you sit down, he knows you sat down. Every time you stand up, he knows you stand up. He pays more attention to you than you do you. He's watching you when you're sleeping at night. He knows what time you plan on waking up tomorrow morning. He knows what time you will wake up tomorrow morning. Two different moments. He knows everything about you. And so that's the first thing I noticed is that he knew where she was going to be, when she was going to be there. And then here's the other thought, just to entertain before we get neck deep into this. If he knows her entire schedule, it's interesting that he chose to meet her at the well. He didn't meet her at her house. He didn't meet her at a restaurant. He didn't meet her in the village. He didn't meet her around dinner time. He didn't arrange for a meal. He met with her at a well. And why is that? Because he knew that she would be alone at that time. And what strikes my heart is that when we're alone, doesn't it seem like that's when Jesus seems to show up in our thoughts, in our heart? You know, when the Lord crosses your mind, when you are alone, you're alone in your car, or everybody in the whole house is sleeping except for you. You look like you're sleeping because your eyes are closed, but you're not sleeping. And some of you that are single, the whole city of Houston is sleeping except for you. You're alone. We've all been there. You look at the clock, and then you look at the clock again. The hands have moved, and you think to yourself, I wonder if I've slept. Are you with me? I don't know if I've slept or not. In those moments and all of a sudden, Jesus crosses your mind. That's Jesus telling you, I am right here next to you. It's in the alone times where he says, I am closer than a brother. And for anyone here, any one of you, and, and this is for a particular group because this isn't all of us, but it's for a particular group. And I didn't share this in the first service. I have it on my notes, but it, it just didn't come to mind. But right now it's in bold print because I believe it's for somebody here. If you are brokenhearted in any way, if there's just something going on that if you talk about it, you'll want to cry. Do you know that He's especially close to you. The Bible says this. It says this in Psalms 34, verse 18. It says that he is near to the brokenhearted. So he, he's, he knows where you're going to be, when you're going to be there. He knows your schedule. And when you're alone, it seems that's when he comes to mind. And when you're alone, it has nothing to do with how many people are in the room with you. Have you ever been in a room full of people and feel completely alone? 
Absolutely, we've all been there. Some of you are there this morning. A room full of people just like this. But you feel alone. It's during these moments a thought will cross your mind. A thought will cross your heart about God out of nowhere. Like an arrow shooting through the air. All of a sudden he crosses your mind. Those are the moments where he's saying, I am right here next to you. So these are the three thoughts that I believe the Lord is trying to share with us. Three things that he's saying. I, if I have these three things from you. Some special things are about to happen in your life. The first thing uh, is, is when Jesus looks at the woman. Here she is drawing water, which has got to be five to ten pounds. She's drawing water by herself out of a well. She gets the well all the way up, or she gets the, the bowl or whatever that is all the way up. And Jesus looks at her and says, give me something to drink. Now clearly she's thirsty. Otherwise, she wouldn't be there. He's asking for something to drink even before she gets something to drink. What does that tell you and I? Jesus wants to be first. He wants to be first in your life. Now, when you begin to hear that, there is some internal friction taking place because you want him to be first the trouble is is you like to be first I like to be first and you and I have been like that our entire lives imagine 50 kids during recess at school they all run out the door they're running towards the playground there's a swing there's a, a merry-go-round there's a seesaw they're all running and what are they screaming out loud me first, me first, me first. Some of you are like, yeah, but that was when we were kids. No, you and I are just like that right now. <laughs> Think about the last time you were on a plane. <laughs> Let's go there, shall we? <laughs> shall we just go there? You're sitting in the middle. You don't know how you got the middle. You were sure that you had the aisle. You're in the middle, and now you're playing this game. Do I get the armrest, or is it their armrest? And you're like, no, it's my armrest. I'm going to be on this thing for three hours. And then you're, you're negotiating with them without talking. Okay, I'll take the front, you take the back. Okay, I guess, I guess I'm taking the back. Okay, you can have the front. No talking. And now you finally establish the ground rules without communicating, much like a movie theater. Okay, I'll take the back. And now you're touching. Oh, I don't know about this. I don't know, I don't know. I don't know about this. I, I don't know. I don't know you. We're touching. This is weird. I don't know. Do I care? Do I not care? All this is going on. The plane lands. You're hearing click, 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 click. And you want to jump up and just run out. You're so tired of being in this flying hot dog. <laughs> and so all of a sudden it lands. And what do you want to do? You want to get up, open up your bag, and just get out. But no, you don't get to be first. You want to be first, but you don't get to be first. And all the people that are in first class that get to be first, it's just like, it's real happy for you. Real happy for you. Hope you enjoyed your steak. Now maybe it's just me thinking that. But we all still want to be first. And, and that is something that all of us have got to wrestle with our entire lives. Because is Jesus 
first. You can always tell who's first in your life by looking at which category gets most of your time, energy, and effort. Whatever gets your most time, energy, and effort is who's first. You know, the Bible says when Jesus was talking to a group of people, he says, your lips say one thing, but your hearts are far from me. It's, it's he is first. I had a serious conversation with my daughter Presley. She's 11 years old. I was putting her to sleep and I was introducing the terms home team to her. So let me tell you what home team means. Home team means anybody that's in our home is your team. Now here in inside of our home, we can all argue and fight. But when we leave our home, we're all on the same team. She's like home team. I'm like home team. I go to Luke's room to put him to sleep. He's eight, she's 11. I said, let me tell you what home team means. Home team, oh yeah, home team. We're like head button, head button. You know, home team. Just the very next night, I'm driving the car. Allie's in the passenger seat. They both have friends in the car. They decide that it's going to be funny to say that Luke likes this girl in his class. Now, to an eight-year-old, that is the most serious offense that you can ever have. <laughs> he is taking this accusation very serious. He is mad, and he is getting upset, and he's, I do, is it all this? I do not like her. Well, the, the madder he gets, the funnier it gets. And Presley's just like, she's just really soaking it on now. She, I don't know. I think you can get married and have babies. <laughs> so we get home and I said, Presley, what happened to home team? She goes, we were just having fun. I said, look, you are going to have to decide for the rest of your life. Are you going to have fun or are you going to be on home team? Because oftentimes you can't do both. It's very interesting. Whenever you make God first, there's a major decision that has to take place. Watch this. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus says this. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. In other words, when he says things, he's saying, I know there are things that you need. You need a car. You need a job. You need a raise. There are things that you need. All of those things, as long as it's not first, your time, energy, and effort, as long as it's not first, I'm going to add those things to your life. Now, what's very interesting is that verse, raise your hand if you've heard that verse before. Usually it's quoted like this. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. Fascinating. Because that's not what it says. What it says is seek first the kingdom of God and there's that silly little word. And, like when you have a hamburger, you want meat and cheese. You want bread and meat. It goes together, right? And his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And what is his righteousness? It's, it's what he calls right. So I want you to pursue me, but what I say is right, I want you to say is right. And what I say is wrong, I want you to say is wrong. I want you to love what I love, and I want you to hate what I hate. And if you do that, I know you have things in your life 
that you need taken care of, but you keep me first place, and I prom- I'll add those things to your life. And so what Jesus is saying, he said, give me a drink of water. Thank you. So, it, 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 <laughs> I grew up in the South. I grew up in churches where you just run around and people don't even recognize. It's just like, you go. <laughs> Here in this church, we got some Baptists, they'll clothesline you. Just, Mwah. So, it, it, so don't go running around. You may get hurt. And we're just going. So seek first the kingdom of God. All these things will be added unto you. David said it like this. He said in Psalms 27 verse 4. He says this one thing I ask from the Lord. This one thing do I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze on the beauty of his face. And to spend time in his temple. He said, this one thing I want. You know the people that draw that line in the sand and say, I am so tired of not having him first place. These people right here, they begin to experience something that other people only wonder about. You know, I, I recently read... Um, this uh, about this rite of passage that a particular tribe of Indians have. Um, this particular tribe, the chiefs, would sit down with the young men that are becoming men. They're in that teenage year. And the chiefs would sit down with these young men and they'd say, you're, you're becoming a man, but in order to pass through this stage, there's something you have to do first. And they were deep, deep, deep in, in uh, I want to say the jungle, but it wasn't the jungle. It was deep in this forest. And, and the chief would point up to this mountain that these boys have seen their entire life. And they said, you got to climb to the top of that mountain. And the boys would have to go one at a time. And as the story goes, these boys would go up and some of them would get about halfway up and turn around and come back because it took several days to get to the top of this mountain. They'd go halfway up and, and many of them would come back and they would say that they got to the top, but they didn't. The chiefs always knew who actually got to the top, though. Because they would sit down with the young men and they would say, when you got to the top, what did you see? And the boy that made it to the top or the boys that made it to the top would look at the chief they would say, I, I saw something I've never seen before. It, it was water for miles and miles. It was, it was like a lake, but it was miles. As far as I could see is just water and water. As far as I could see. And the chief would say back to him, that was the ocean. See, these young men didn't even have words to express what they saw for the first time in their life. I'm going to tell you, when you are willing to fight and to climb and to keep and to wrestle, to keep God first, when it's not convenient, you begin to experience a relationship with God that other people have to fake. 
And then it becomes the most dear to you in the whole world. The second thing that Jesus wants that w- that's unveiled in this passage, obviously the first is he wants to be first. But the second is he wants to be trusted. We know this because when the girl looked at Jesus, when the lady looked at Jesus, she said, why are you asking me for water? You're not even supposed to be talking to me. You're a Jew on a Samaritan. How in the world do you have the audacity to talk to me? This isn't even supposed to be happening. Before I get done telling you, no, you can't have any water, I want to know, why are you talking to me? Here's the thing I've learned about the Lord. Many of you have learned it as well. If you're going to have a relationship with God, it is going to be incredibly perplexing. Almost everything about God merits the question, how? How has God always existed? How are you going to always exist? Do you know you're never, ever, 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 ever going to die? Your spirits can be forever. When you've been in eternity for forever, after forever, do you know what happens? It starts all over again. We go forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. You are the Highlander. <laughs> you are never going to die. If you're anything like I am, you go, Whenever you hear a preacher, or maybe Jesus speaks to you directly in your, in your mind, in your heart, not out loud, but just right in your heart, and he says, don't worry about it, it's going to be okay. But the evidence that you see is not okay. But in here it says, okay. What do you want to say back? How? Because everything about God merits the question Jesus says back to her something that strikes her heart. He begins to unpack the how in a unique way. She's saying, how are you asking me this question? Why are you asking me this question? I don't understand why you're approaching me. I'm completely confused. I'm completely perplexed. And he begins to unpack this. And and for any one of us that struggles with how, I want to give you two scriptures that you can just hang on to because you can't memorize the whole Bible. But there's two scriptures you can hang on to. In Psalms chapter 112, verse 7, it says this, speaking of the children of the Lord, they will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. They'll have no fear of it. Let me just tell you, when you imagine bad news, that is not the Lord speaking to you. Anytime it's bad, just know that's not God. Anytime it's a negative report that you're anticipating, just go, devil, shut your mouth. I didn't ask for your opinion. Because all good things are from the Lord. Here's another thought in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. It says that he rewards those who diligently seek him. He wants us to trust him. And he's saying, seek me diligently. Seek me. And I'll reward you. Does anyone here have anyone in their family who cannot keep a secret? Don't point at them. Just, just not. I, I'm going to say something. My dad is my best friend. 
He cannot keep a secret. He is the worst secret keeper in the world. In fact, my wife, we've been married for 14 and a half years, creeping up on 15 on August. The, we're coming up on 15, 15 years. Wonderful, awesome, glorious years. August the 28th. I am not kidding right now, and I am getting sweaty by the minute. Let's move on. It is in August, though, right? Eighteen. Is it hot in here? What am I talking about? My dad, thank you. I've been married for 14 and a half years. On August the 18th, it'll be 15. Do you know what my wife says to me all the time? Are you going to tell your dad this? Because whatever I tell my dad will be on the front page of the Houston Chronicle tomorrow morning. He makes all of his kids say, if you want me to never say, you have to tell me, promise in the name of Jesus you're not going to say it. Well, I forget to make him say that promise. And he says back, you didn't tell me to promise in the name of Jesus. What, do you want me to walk around with a Bible when I talk to you? Put your hand on the Bible. That's the only time he won't tell. Is if I make him promise on the Bible. Otherwise, it's just... The biggest mouth. I love, did I tell you I love my dad? He's my best friend. The biggest mouth on the planet. My brother Nathan has that same gift. <laughs> Massive mouth. I can take this table and stick it in there. Huge. They cannot keep a secret. Do you know that God, your father, the one that created you, he saw you while you're in your mother's womb, he can't keep a secret either. He is one of the worst secret keepers you will ever meet. I better start reading the Bible because some of you are like, oh, hold on a minute. Watch this. Matthew chapter 6, verse 6. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. He's saying, hey, nobody knows you're praying. Nobody knows you're seeking me. I know you're trying to trust me to the best of your ability. How many of you have pulled your car over and, and just you were in the car by yourself in some park or on the side of the road and just let tears come down? Squeezing your steering wheel. Do you know that that was a secret moment between you and the Lord? And he says, I, I, I heard you. I heard you. It was a secret moment. I heard you in your car. I heard you in your room. I heard you in the bedroom. I heard you. I heard you in the restroom. When you left the meeting and you just went in the restroom and just cried and cried out to God. I heard you. It was a secret moment. But because you cried out to me in secret, I am going to reward you in public. I'm going public with this. I'm going to have people start liking you and they don't even know why they like you. 
they're going to think about you. They're going to, when they see you, they're going to like you. You are going to have to exert less effort but experience more results. I'm going public with what you're doing in secret. In secret. I remember when Allie and I started the church uh, about 10 years ago. It was me and my wife, and we only had one kid. She was um, uh, two months old. <laughs> two months old. And uh, uh, <laughs> uh, I went and got a full-time sales job. It was straight commission. In other words, you don't sell, you don't make any money. It doesn't matter how hard you worked. If you don't sell, you don't make any money. Um, my wife was a real estate agent at the time. She's not anymore, but she used to be. And that's the same arrangement. You don't sell, you don't make any money. I remember distinctly one time I came home, and this happened several times, but this particular time I came home and Allie would say, how much did you make? And I remember saying, nothing. She goes, what do you mean, nothing? And what I wanted to say was, what part of nothing do you not understand? <laughs> but uh, I said, uh, I, I really mean I didn't make anything. And so she says, you know what's really weird? Is somebody got on the Prudential website. Now there's 70 names, faces on the Prudential website. Every single realtor that Prudential, Gary Green, and Kingwood has is on that website. Everyone. And she goes, someone just randomly picked me, called me up. They already have the house picked. They close in like a week. They just wanted a realtor to do the paperwork. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I went crazy. Both my wife and I were doing the funky legs, funky legs. <laughs> we were going nuts because that's the way the Lord is. I want you to trust me. Frankie, I hear you praying. Allie, I hear you praying. I see it. You want to trust me. Listen to me. I can be trusted. It's interesting. Absolutely. It's interesting, um, the next moment that they had was fascinating. Still talking about trusting. Uh, he, he looks at the, le the woman at the well and he says, uh, go get your husband. Now, things are about to get awkward. <laughs> Real awkward, you saw the scene. He says, you, you, you don't have a husband. You're actually living with a guy that's not your husband and and those other five guys, you have actually had five husbands. Now, that's awkward. Are you with me? Can we all agree that that's awkward? It's like, hey, there's, all of us have certain things in our life we would just rather not talk about. Can we not talk about that? I was talking to somebody recently, and I said, hey, you remember that girl you used to date? He goes, whatever you're about to say, can you say it quickly? Because I'm trying to forget about that whole season. I just I don't want to talk about it. Jesus has this way of bringing things up. 
When I was um, uh, going to church growing up on a Wednesday night, the preacher used to walk around with a microphone and you could do prayer requests. We did that in Sunday school too. And I remember specifically in one setting, raising my hand and being so transparent. I just need help here. I need help here. My mom, my dad. And then this, and the person next said, I've got one, um, unspoken. <laughs> and I'm like, I didn't know that was an option. <laughs> I, I would have said unspoken. I, 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 that's not fair. Mine was unspoken. And then you start trying to guess they're unspoken. It's not fair. You can't. Do, I, I want. You ever want to rewind time and do unspoken? Like I, I want to do unspoken. There's certain things that we want to be unspoken. We don't want to talk about it. Jesus brings it up. That would have been an unspoken, don't you think? Hey, I've been through five husbands. I'm with this guy. It's not really working out. That would be considered an unspoken, right? Jesus, is like, hey, you want to talk about? That, she said, no. <laughs> because here's the thing with Jesus. He wants to talk about every single part because he wants all of your life to shift. He wants you to trust him with that. You know, we'll pray for a headache. Oh, Jesus, let my headache go away. But when we need a new job, he's like, I can handle that too. Have you ever noticed that your sprinkler system, or when you put a sprinkler in your yard, one of those fans, it doesn't do as good as rain does? Have you ever noticed that? It's like, my goodness. Rain for 20 minutes, and all of a sudden, <laughs> got to mow. I'm over here wasting $55 a second, and it's not growing at all. Have you ever thought that? Am I the only one? Rains for 20 seconds, and all of a sudden it's like, you got like a, a rainforest. You got palm trees coming out of places. You're sprinkling things. Systems, nothing's growing. Are you with me? It rains for 20 minutes, and all of a sudden it grows. Have you ever wondered why? Just me? Let me tell you why. I actually looked it up because I'm like, this, there's got to be some answers here. There in, <laughs> the, the water that's coming out of the hose, the water that's coming out of the wall has been purified for your sake and my sake. Because if you drink it straight, you're going to get sick. So there's tons of chlorine and fluoride in that, in that water so that you can drink it and it's okay. But here's the deal. Grass does not like chlorine. It's like, I'm going to take it because it's all I got. There's moderate growth. Rainwater, on the other hand, it's full. There's nitrogen in the air. So it's picking up all this pure nitrogen, bringing it straight down. It's coming at a pace that is incredible. Like a dart. It's, go, it's sinking in, getting deeper, deeper, deeper into the ground. Not only that, let me make sure I'm not saying something that's not true. There's a low, there's a low concentration of minerals in that one little drop of water. It is pure and it is saturating and it is going deep. And every single part of your yard is experiencing it. So Jesus is saying to us, I don't want to just 
take care of this part of your life or this part of your yard. I want to take care of all of it. I want to drench it. I want to seek it. Now watch this. In Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 26, it says, I will send down the rain at the appropriate time. There will be a rainstorm of blessings. It is well within your rights as a child of God to say, Lord, I've got things going on in my life right now. I don't even know where to start praying. You ever been there? I don't even know where to start. I don't know if I need to pray about him, her, me, it, that, hum, hit. I don't even know where to start. All I know is I need my whole arena, everything. I need it all. I need a rainstorm. I just need you to dump water. I need you to dump blessings. And this is what Jesus is saying. Trust me. Here's the deal. You and I, sometimes we go through seasons of trying to take care of our own grass ourselves. Watering the best we can. Working the best we can. Hustling the best we can. Working the best we can. And the Lord sees our work and he appreciates our effort. But he's saying, I can do so much more. Um, the very last moment that he had with her, um, she turned away from Jesus and the Bible said that she left her water pot there. She came with a water pot and she left it there. And she turned around and she ran into the village. She showed up with a water pot. Her number one priority at that moment was drinking some water. She was the priority it was, the focus was her. She has a moment with Jesus. The focus is no longer her. It is no longer her needs. She's forgotten all about it. Now, the only thing that's on her mind is getting back to the city to tell other people about Jesus. And the message that Jesus gave her personally, she's now sharing. Now she's not the center of attention. She's not the end-all, be-all. Now she's experiencing a fulfillment that is so great she can't even remember her problems anymore. See, we're always going to have problems. We just got to figure out what we're going to focus on. When you get more focus on your assignment than you do your problem, your problem starts to begin to pale in comparison and the problem becomes background music. Do you know I was watching an interview with Bill Clinton the other day, and we all know Bill Clinton's story, and I've always thought to myself, how in the world can you be so humiliated, but yet do your job cool as a cucumber? This event that you guys know about, the next day after the event hit the front news with that young lady, I was like, I wonder what that guy's doing. I hope he's not swinging from a noose somewhere. I hope he didn't kill himself. You know what he was doing? I've always wondered, how do you stay so cool? How do you stay so cool and level-minded? How do you do that? I'm not saying I agree with his political position. I'm not even talking about politics. They interviewed him, and he goes, I've always looked at problems like it's background music. I just stay focused on what I'm doing. We've got to stay focused on our assignment and everything else is background music. Another way of saying it, it's duck nibbles. Ducks don't have teeth, they're just annoying. You like that one better than the Bill Clinton one, huh? <laughs> Isaiah, why don't you come on up here real quick? 
At some point this week, you're going to get thirsty, and I want to take care of you. There you go. Drink up. That should cover you. That should cover you for sure. I don't think so. <laughs> See how much water I'm wanting to give this guy? It'll get him through today. He'll be fine. Might even get him through the next couple of days. It's not going to get him through the rest of the week. It's not going to get him through the rest of the month. You know why? For the rest of his life, he's going to need more water. For the rest of his life, he is never not going to need water. Do you know there's certain parts about you and I you'll never and I'll never get enough of? Why don't you play the keys for me, Isaiah? Let me read this, this verse to you. Do you know what the Bible says about this? In Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 8, it says, Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. Do you know what's so fascinating? The Bible is pointing out, you and I are never going to reach the place where we say, I don't want to see anymore. You're never going to reach the place where you say, I don't want to hear anything ever again for the rest of my life. Because your eyes are always hungry to see. Your ears are always hungry to hear. Your body is always hungry for water. And do you know something else? You and I will always be hungry to have our life actually be fulfilling instead of depressing. Instead of to be fulfilling, to be something special. And the only way we will ever experience that is when we are being used by Him. Where every day you wake up, you're on an assignment. Every conversation you have, you can tell there's something different about this conversation. God is using you. And when you're living like this, you're going from one moment to one assignment to one conversation. And you feel God using you. That's when you end up forgetting about your own water pot. Your own issues. Your own worries. So the Lord is saying to us, through this passage I want you to put me first I want you to trust me I got you I promise I, I, got, I've got, I got you so well protected I got you before you were even born I had you but I got you I want you to love me I want you to trust me and if you'll let me for the rest of your life I want to work with you I want to move through you let, let's let me move through you. Let's do, some, let's do some things together. Do you know the Bible says this? It's not the Great Commission says, go into all the world, tell people about me. That's the summarized version. Tell people about me. Do you know it's not the Great Suggestion? It's the Great Commission. It is not optional to tell people about Jesus. That's not an option, whether you should or not, or do or don't. Inviting people to church is not an option. It's something that we've all got to do. And that's when we feel most fulfilled.